Good morning, everyone. Great to see you all. Happy Thanksgiving. Are you all happy and thankful? Great. I am going to speak on Thanksgiving today about being thankful. Clark? Oh, it's Scotty. <laughs> Scotty, you okay? Okay. We're thankful that you are seated and upright. And buddy, we've all been there. We've all done that. At least I have. All right, so today is Thanksgiving, and I thought I would just change it up a little bit, and I thought that I would speak to you about being thankful. And so uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll talk a bit. Father, thank you for this day. We pray that you will just uh, bless your word to each and every heart, speak to each and every person about your goodness and your grace, and help me, Lord, to speak your word with clarity and with power and we ask these things in your name the name of jesus amen one pastor said that regarding the 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 anatomy of the church one of the essential attitudes one of the essential motivations one of the essential spiritual realities in the life of a church through which it life which through its life flows is gratitude, and he's right. At the heart of a vibrant church and at the heart of a vibrant follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is a thankful person, a thankful church full of gratitude. Thankfulness is an essential attitude to have. And if you look around the world today, and if you watch any news or you listen to any news, uh, it's filled with ingratitude. Everybody's griping and everybody's complaining. I have to be honest, so am I. But one of the best things that a person can have in life is gratitude, a thankful heart filled with gratitude and the thing about a thankful heart and gratitude is it's not something that you can buy at your local store you don't walk in to save on foods and say and by the way i'll take a pound of gratitude or you go to your favorite coffee shop and say hey could you just give me an extra shot of thankfulness today that would be nice if you could shop for thankfulness and gratitude or you could add it to your grocery list or you could go to your uh, coffee store and just get a few shots of gratitude put in it, but it doesn't work that way. But if you think about thankfulness and you think about gratitude, it is one of the distinguishing traits of the human spirit. Now, I'm going to give you, and I'm sorry for this, but I'm going to give you a golf illustration. 
And for those of you that have been with me for any amount of time, you know that you get a lot of these illustrations. But you know, when I hit the odd good shot, the inevitable comment comes from my brother, who is with me too with skill, but that someone was looking over me and made that ball go where I wanted to, so therefore I should be a very thankful golfer. And I am, every time I beat him. I'm very thankful. But the fact of the matter is, is that many athletes, whether they score a touchdown, hit a home run, scoring a goal, or they make some fantastic play and the camera zooms in on them, have you ever noticed what they do? They're all pointing upwards. Do you notice that about athletes? A lot of them. And then I notice a lot of ball players, especially ball players, all make the sign of the cross before they get on the mound and throw a pitch. They're thankful. Or they need a lot of help, one of the two. But you know, the thing is, is gratitude is a part, it's an essential part of who we are. Like, when something good happens to us, we often will look up and say, thank you. And whether it's an event uh, that brings great happiness, or whether it's because we were spared from some type of damage or accident, we inevitably know to give thanks. But today I'm talking about something more than just being thankful for the odd circumstance or event that somehow triggers this thankfulness gene. I'm talking about an attitude that is in our hearts that's marked by gratitude and thankfulness. Now, scripturally, we find things related to the issue of thanksgiving nearly cover to cover in the Bible. The Bible is a book of thankfulness and gratitude. Uh, you can't open up the Bible and not see individuals offering up sacrifices out of gratitude in the book of ex, uh, Genesis. The Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, sang a song of thanksgiving as they were delivered from Pharaoh's army and crossed the Red Sea. Later in the book of Leviticus, yes, the book of Leviticus, in there, there are many feasts, and three of those feasts for the nation of Israel, three times a year, they were specifically to gather together on leavened bread, which is also called the Feast of Passover, the Harvest of Pentecost, and the Feast of Ingathering, or Tabernacles, involved specifically remembering God's goodness and giving him thanks. And they were to assemble simply for the sole purpose of remembering what God has done and to give him thanks. The book of Psalms is packed with verses and songs and psalms of thanksgiving, both for God's grace to the Israelite people as uh, pertaining to his mighty deeds, as well as individuals who just think about how God has treated them. In the New Testament, there are repeated admonitions to give thanks to God. Thanksgiving has always been a part of our prayers. Some of the most remembered passages on the giving of thanks are found in the New Testament. For instance, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18, 
the Apostle Paul wrote, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, it doesn't say give thanks for everything. It says to give thanks in everything because we realize that in everything, God will never leave us or forsake us and that he can comfort and strengthen us through the trials of life. Again, Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 6. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. He wrote to the young Timothy and he said in 1 Timothy 2.1, Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayer, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men. And of all God's gifts, the greatest one, of course, that he has given is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because on the cross of Calvary, Jesus paid a debt that we could not pay. He paid the debt for our sin so that we could be forgiven and that we could have eternal life. And so that is one of the greatest gifts that we should all be thankful for. And that gift is available for the asking. Because the Bible says that all who call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save them from their sin in simple but sincere faith, the Lord will do that. For this gift of the Lord Jesus Christ is a gift that will meet our greatest needs. And the Apostle Paul said this to the Corinthians when he said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So I'm going to now turn, that's my introduction, and now I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 100. And I'd like to just take a quick look at this little psalm. It's only five verses long. And it is a psalm of thanksgiving. And I'm going to preach in the Baptist style. You've had my introduction. I'm going to give you a three-part sermon, a conclusion, and then we'll take an offering for the building fund. And since we don't have a building fund, I'll spare you the offering. So here's what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 100. Is it up there? There it is. All right. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Now I'm going to break this up into three groups, and each group has three points. So for a total of nine if you're keeping score at home. Now, in verses 1 to 2, we are given three postures of the heart. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. And the ESV says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. The NIV says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. And the New Living Translation says, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. 
And so whatever way you want to cut it, fricassee, fry it, bake it, whatever you want to do, there's a whole lot of shouting going on. Amen. Now listen, when you observe human nature, shouting can happen for a lot of different reasons. Shouting can happen when people are angry, and they're usually shouting at one another. But when you're happy, you are shouting with one another. And the idea of what the psalmist is saying here is realizing who God is and what he has done for us is that we are making a joyful shout together about what God has done for us. And so here the psalmist says, interestingly, let the whole earth make a joyful shout to the Lord. Shout to the Lord all the lands. And it's a very simple and direct exhortation to all the people of the earth that they should praise God with a joyful shout. Now, why should the world shout to the Lord joyfully? Because the world doesn't do that. His people do, but a lot of people are mad or angry with God, or they don't even believe God exists, so no need for shouting. They'll shout for their favorite teams, but not so much for God. But the original word, shout, signifies a glad shout. And the imagery is as when a loyal subject uh, or loyal subjects give when their king appears before them. In other words, it's the idea of a group of people that come under a king whom they love and appreciate. And when they gather together as his subjects, they shout together with joy because of his reign and rulership in the land. Well, we as a people of God shout joyfully to the Lord because of his rule and reign in our lives. Because God is a good master and he takes very good care of his people. It goes on to say that our happy God should be worshipped by a happy people. A cheerful spirit is in keeping with his nature, his acts, and the gratitude which we should cherish for his mercies. You know, being happy in God's presence is not a sin. The Bible nowhere says, be grumpy and come into the presence of the Lord. You're not going to find that in the Bible. It talks about realizing what God has done for us and who he is and coming in with a realization of who the Lord is and it puts a joyful shout in the people of God. And the scriptures are full of imagery about all of the lands and all of creation praising the Lord. Do you know, creation, according to the Bible, literally speaks to us and shouts to us about the reality of God. When you look at the stars, the moon, the sky, the universe, and all that is in it, the Bible says that all of creation praises God. Everything that he's made points to a maker. Creation literally shouts to us from, be it the immensity of our universe, to our galaxy, to our solar system, to our earth, to all that is in the earth, the mountains, the oceans, the animals and the mammals that live and, li and, and uh, swim in them, to the plant life, 
the deserts, everything shouts praise to the Lord. And no wonder on Palm Sunday, when the Lord Jesus was riding into a donkey, one week before he was about to be crucified, that they started cutting palm branches and laying them before and crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees were choked. They were indignant that they were ascribing praise to the Lord Jesus. And they said, tell your disciples to be quiet. And what did Jesus say? I tell you the truth, that if they stay quiet, what will happen? Even the rocks will cry out. Because all of creation, even stupid rocks, can realize when God is in the midst of them. Everything in the earth and in the universe shouts praise to God. The only people that can't really get it is human beings. The second thing is serve the Lord with gladness. Now, Bob Dylan, everybody knows Bob Dylan. Who doesn't know Bob Dylan? Don't bother putting up your hands. I don't want to embarrass you. Bob Dylan released an album back in 1980. It was called Slow Train Coming. I went down and bought the record. Yes, back in 1980, you had to go to a literal store and buy a literal record. And you put it on a literal turntable and turned it on, and the record went around and around. And then you put a needle down, and sound came out of these boxes. That's how old I am. No commentary needed. The first song on that album was You Gotta Serve Somebody. Anybody familiar with that song? Two people. Excellent. You might be an ambassador to England or France. You might like to gamble. You might like to dance. You might be a heavyweight champion of the world. You might be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to sue somebody. I'm here to Thursday, try the veal, it's excellent. <clears throat> Bob, Bob says, you gotta serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you gotta serve somebody. Well, who are you gonna serve, Bob says. Well, it might be the devil, or it might be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Well, Bob was right. In his own simple rock and roll way, I've got the whole song downloaded here, three pages. Bob had a very simple premise, very simple theology. But the fact of the matter is, is what he wrote is right. We all are serving somebody or something. We just don't ever like to put it in those terms or think about it that way. We don't really like to step back and actually ask, who are we serving? And Bob was right. You can paint things up, you can define your beliefs with a certain rationale or sophistication, but there's really only two choices in this world. You're serving the Lord or you're serving the devil, but you are going to have to serve somebody. Now, the psalmist simply says this, serve the Lord. 
serve the Lord with gladness. Now, the text not only tells us what to do, which is to serve the Lord, but the attitude in which we are to do it with gladness. God, well, I don't want to be so bold as to say God is, but as your pastor, okay, I'm not into people serving God with frumpiness. If you're going to serve the Lord, serve him with gladness. Serve him with joy. Don't serve him with, well, I have to. Serve him with, I get to. And that all happens when you know who God is and you understand it's, it's not a drag serving God. It's a glad thing to do. The Apostle Paul, Paul wrote the same truth to the Colossians some uh, thousand years later when he said, Bond servants. So we're, he's, he's, he's talking about Roman slaves here, which comprised of about 50 million people during the Caesar years. 50 million people in the Roman Empire were slaves. Bond servants were slaves. They were the lowest of the low. And he's, he's writing to, to slaves that have become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are still slaves, but now they are free in Jesus and they've become followers of him. But here's what he writes to them. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, and the last time I checked, whatever means whatever. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Pastor David Guzik quotes a couple oldie goldie guys that lived a couple hundred years ago, and one of them by the name of Clark said, it is your privilege and duty to be happy in your religious worship. The religion of the true God is intended to remove human misery and to make mankind happy. He whom the religion of Christ has not made happy does not understand that religion or does not make proper use of it. Spurgeon said, as for the true believer in Jesus, he serves as God because he loves to serve him. He assembles with the great congregation because it is his delight to worship the Most High. The third thing that he says in this verse is come before his presence with singing. So shout joyfully, serve with gladness, and now come before his presence with singing. You get the picture? Shouting, serving, and singing. All with this beautiful attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving. As in many places in the book of Psalms, praise is expressed in song. Singing is not the only way to please God, but it is one of the important and chief ways that God has given us to worship and praise him. So that's why the first 30 minutes of each service is dedicated to song and worship, because it's one of the ways that we worship the Lord together. In Ephesians chapter 5, again, the Apostle Paul said, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Have you ever seen somebody and they're, they're, they're totally unaware of who's around them? 
and they're singing to themselves. Or you pull up on a red light and you look over and someone's just belting out a song next to you in the song, you know. And you can tell, like, they're having a good time. They're enjoying the music that they are singing to themselves or they're listening. Well, for the Christian, it's no different. Singing unto the Lord, coming into his presence with singing, is because we realize that God has done something for us, and it puts a song in our heart. Paul wrote to the Colossians, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing, you, uh, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to God. James 5.13, If anyone is among you, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful, let him sing psalms. Singing is a good thing. It lifts the heart and it lifts the spirit. Music is a gift from God. And so he says, come into the presence of the Lord with singing. Now in the next verse, verse 3, my second point before we get to the offering is he gives us three perspectives for the mind. So we have three postures for the heart. Now we have three perspectives for the mind. He says in verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. Attention world, announcement, announcement. What is it? Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Three perspectives for our minds to think upon that foster an attitude of thankfulness and gratitude. Know that the Lord, he is God. It's he that's made us and not ourselves. And thirdly, we are the sheep of his pasture, his people. Now, thanksgiving for an atheist must be a dilemma. It's kind of like getting all dressed up with nowhere to go. During a November 2009 debate in England, sponsored by a rationalist group known as the Intelligence Squared Group, Richard Dawkins admitted, who is a, a famous militant atheist, admitted that when he looks at the Milky Way or the Grand Canyon, he is overcome by a profound feeling of thankfulness. Quote, he says, it's, a feeling of sort of an abstract gratitude that I am alive to appreciate these wonders, he said. And when I look down, in, down a microscope, it's the same feeling. I am grateful to be alive to appreciate these wonders. But to whom does an atheist like Richard Dawkins express such gratitude? One atheist has practically made a lobby out of writing articles to explain why atheists feel the need to be thankful. He tackles the question of whom an atheist is supposed to thank. And his best answer, atheists can be grateful to farmers for the food that we eat, to doctors for the health that we enjoy, to engineers for the advantage of keeping our environment clean and orderly, and so on and so on. Well, here's the problem with that. Tipping the waitress or tipping one's hat to sanitation workers is a good thing to do, but it doesn't even come close to resolving the problem of who Dawkins should thank 
when he looks at the stars or he stands at the edge of the Grand Canyon or studies the world of countless wonders in the microscope which is revealed in one single drop of pond water. Now, of course, on a human level, we should be thankful to people who make our lives better. But if thinking people ex- it, but if thanking people exhausts your sense of blessedness and satisfies that sort of abstract gratitude you feel when pondering the vastness of the universe, I would suggest that your worldview is spiritually bankrupt. Another atheist wrote, acknowledging this problem of who to thank, says the answer is easy for her. She just thanks her lucky stars. What it comes down to, she writes, is that an atheist is generally thankful for good luck, serendipity. Now, when you think about it, that's kind of an odd and ironic answer from a point of view that repudiates uh, theism on the grounds that it's not rational to believe in God. Not that atheism itself truly stands on rational grounds. After all, the starting point for atheistic materialism is the equation that in the beginning was nothing, then it produced nobody, and nobody times nothing equals everything. What could possibly be more irrational than that? In the beginning was nothing, nothing produced somebody or nobody, And nobody times nothing gave us everything. That's not science. That's presupposition. Chance, luck, fortune, happenstance, whatever you want to label it, whatever you want to call it, is not a force or intelligence. Chance has to do with mathematical probability. Flip a coin and there's a 50-50 chance that it will come up tails. But chance has no power to flip the coin, much less design an ordered universe. In the words of one Nobel Prize winning atheist, pure chance, absolutely free but blind, is at the very root of the stupendous edifice of evolution. I would say I would just stop at the end of stupendous. Pure chance is stupid. Doesn't, doesn't pass the test of logic and rationale. Luck has thus been personified. It's been imbued with power to determine, order, and cause everything that happens. If true, then there's no one to thank. We're just simply here by pure luck and simple chance. You are nothing more than a bunch of random molecules that has collided by mere chance You have no purpose for being here, and you have absolutely zero to look forward to when you get old and your body starts to wind down. There's no purpose. There's no future. So the psalmist says this. Know that the Lord, he is God, and it's he who has made us and not we ourselves. I would simply say that is profoundly simple and simply profound. 
And the third is simply this. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Every one of you here and everyone in this world has Jesus knocking on your door and he wants to be your shepherd. The Bible tells us in Psalm 23 that the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus said in John 10, he is the good shepherd. The Bible says that he is the great shepherd of the sheep. The Bible says that he's the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And Peter says he is the chief shepherd of the sheep. And so we know that we have purpose by being created by God. That he is leading us. That he has a plan for us. That he guards us from our enemies. Because shepherds have a plan for their sheep. They've got to lead them out. They've got to lead them to good pasture. They've got to eat. They've got to be guarded from enemies. And if you know anything about sheep, they're not the brightest bulb on the shelf. They're pretty stupid animals. And the Lord decided to use sheep as an imagery for us. And so he is our good shepherd. He keeps us from getting lost and wandering away. He finds provision for us day by day, and he promises to bring us safely back home. And so we are thankful and grateful that God is our shepherd and we are the sheep of his pasture. And lastly, in verse 4, we are given three actions for the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Three things. Three things. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Two, be thankful to him. And three, bless his name. Would you like to know what God's will is for your life today? Be thankful and bless his name. And when it says to come into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, we're talking about the gathering place of God's people where the doors open and we can gather together. And we are told what to do. We are to come into his presence, how? With thanksgiving and praise, not grumpiness and frumpiness. We are to be thankful to him and not complaining and fault finding, and we are to bless his name. Now, I won't spend time explaining the obvious, but it's quite clear from these commands that the actions that are commanded are accompanied by the attitude of thankfulness and gratefulness. And verse 5 sums it all up. Why should we be thankful? Why should we have hearts of gratitude? For the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Do you know that today? That God is good to you. He's good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Isn't it interesting that in this entire psalm, all five verses, aren't you glad there wasn't 25 verses? We'd be here forever. Isn't it interesting that the thankful person in Psalm 100 is thankful for God and nothing else? The thing that makes him happy and thankful is God. You don't see anywhere in these verses, I was thankful because of the things that I have. 
I had gratitude because of the size of my bank account. I was extremely blessed because what I saw in the mirror looking back at me, wow. He was thankful because he knew his God. And he realized that God, listen carefully because this is why they pay me the big bucks. He was thankful because he realized that God and God alone is the source of all joy. And God has made us and created us to know him. And there is a thirst and there is a desire in every heart to know God, because he put it there. Now, all of the things that we enjoy, there's nothing wrong with them at all. They're blessings. But they can never fill what only God can fill. Does that make sense to you? The second thing is, is thankfulness also reminds us of how much we do have and not what we don't have. Do you know what is one of the signs of a thankful person? Because you can travel to third world countries and you can meet Christians there that don't have two sticks to rub together. They live in a shack. They don't have clothes. They're scrounging for food and they're the most thankful and joyful people. And the reason is, is because they are thankful for what they have today and they don't think about what they don't have. Do you know what makes a really bitter, complaining, grumpy person? Is you begin to dwell upon all the things that you think you should have and you don't have, and you become discontent. One of the keys to thankfulness and gratitude is to think about all the things that you have rather than the things you don't. For instance, this thought actually occurred to me one day when I was getting out of bed. I woke up. Wow, that's fantastic. I'm alive. I, op- I can see. I opened my eyes. I-, I got hair on my head. Still there. I put my feet down on the floor. I got a floor? Man, there's a roof over my head. I got clothes. I put on clothes. My wife hasn't left me. She's still in the house. This is fantastic. I got a car? No, I got two cars. I can put gas in my car? I actually can drive down a road where people observe the laws of the land, where they stop on red and go on green and gun it on yellow? (laughs) Amazing. It's fantastic. Listen, when you think about the simple things that we have in life, no one, nothing can buy health. Nothing can buy another day in your life. Nothing. These are gifts that are given to you by your creator. And be thankful for them and rejoice because they are the most precious gifts that money can't buy. And no matter what your status is or how important people might think you are or not, these are the things to be thankful for. Happy lies focus on the blessings rather than our wants. And the scriptures tell us over and over again these important truths. And here's the most important one that I'll leave with you today. 
the soul that finds their wealth in the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done for you, what he will do in your life, and what he has promised to do will have a continual feast of thankfulness and joy in their lives. Giving thanks to God keeps our hearts in right relationship with him and saves us from a host of harmful emotions and attitudes that will rob us of all that we already have and all that God is doing for us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Look at that. It's 10 to 12. You guys should really be thankful. This is a good day.